Hello, I'm Lisa. Hi, I'm Rania, and welcome to the Ohio Tokyo podcast. And this is our first episode. Okay, so to start off, a little introduction about myself. Hi, I'm Lisa. I'm Japanese,、uh, born and raised in Tokyo until four years old, then moved to Beijing, China, where I spent my childhood for nine years, going to an international school. And even when I moved back to Tokyo when I was 13, I attended an American school, and now I'm attending KOSFC for university. And what about you, Rania? Yeah, so as I've said before, hi, I'm Rania. I'm Indonesian. I was born and raised in Jakarta. Both of my parents are Indonesian. And then we moved to Japan, I think it was in like 2007 or 2008, for my dad's job purposes. I attended,、um, I attended an Indonesian school here. And then I moved back to Indonesia after the 2011 earthquake and attended. A normal middle school and high school in Jakarta, and then moved back to Japan after I got accepted into KOSFC. So, how did you like living in Indonesia, Rania? Hmm. Well, I would say that living in Indonesia is it's kind of like、uh, I have a love hate relationship with Indonesia. I love that the people are very friendly. I would say that Indonesian, Indonesian people are one of the most like, friendliest people that I've ever met. And yeah, the one problem that I would have is that sometimes the people in general could be a bit close minded. So maybe that's why.、Uh, that's one of the things that I dislike about Indonesia. The food is amazing, and I really loved learning about my own culture. I didn't like the traffic though, the traffic and also the weather,、um, especially during rainy, the rainy season, the floods and stuff. It's just, yeah, it's really annoying. So, how about you? How did you like living in Beijing? Well, I lived there when I was, what, from four years old to 13. So, honestly, my memories are a little outdated. And I know that China is a little different, but when I lived there, I really I did enjoy it. But I think that part of it was because I lived in a bubble where I was only I only went to school, my house, my friend's house. That was kind of it. But I've also heard that my mom, on the other hand,、um, really didn't like it because. It was really hard to shop because a lot of things were like unsanitary or kind of dangerous. And yeah. And I think that the most prominent memory that I had was pollution. And it's actually quite interesting because we wear masks every day right now for,、um, due to the pandemic. And we say that that's the new normal. However, when I lived in Beijing, it was actually the normal to be wearing a mask. Almost every day.、Um, even to go to my bus stop, which was 200 meters away, I had to wear a mask. And as an elementary school kid, we didn't get to have these outdoor recesses and we had to stay in,、um, indoors. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, talking about pollution, I think that this is something that we both could relate to because Jakarta and Beijing are both prominent because of their pollution. When I remember, when I think about pollution in Jakarta, 
so your your experience would be with air pollution in Beijing. Right. And for me, yeah, the most the most prominent memory of pollution would be water pollution in Jakarta, because okay. uh, in front of the house complex that I used to live in, in order to get into the gate, we needed to cross a bridge, and under the bridge was this like small river. In Indonesian, we would call it a kali. And that river or kali, it's really polluted. Uh, you can't even see the, like, you can't see underwater because it's really murky and it's just filled with trash. And I would say that most of the rivers in Indonesia are like that. And sometimes there would be air pollution too because of the, like, there's a whole bunch of cars in Jakarta. It's filled with cars and um, trash burning also happens a lot. And yeah, it's it's definitely really bad for the people's lungs and yeah how about how about you with like air pollution in Beijing did that affect you in some way yeah actually um air pollution was so bad that I got asthma when I don't know I think it was late um when I was there maybe like like six or seven years in I got asthma from the pollution and after I came back to Japan and after I want to say a year or two I got better so I don't have it anymore but that was something that I was like wow this is something that's even affecting my health Mm -hmm. and something that you said about the water pollution too that's actually quite relatable in Beijing as well at least when I was there I think that it's much better now I've heard but yeah, it was quite all of the like lakes and stuff were quite murky. Right. But um yeah, so are you glad that you moved to Japan because of the the whole pollution, like water and air are both better in Japan than Jakarta? Yeah, well, I am glad about the fact that compared to Jakarta, there is less pollution here in Japan. Like you could see that the streets are so much better looking without like the trash um, polluting the, the roads and also the rivers are cleaner, you could see through it. And yeah, the air pollution, I think it's pretty much non-existent here. It is nice, but am I glad that I moved to Japan? Well, I am glad that I moved to Japan, but I would say that living in Japan in general is quite tough, especially as a foreigner. Right. I actually hear that a lot, but um, could you explain to us how it's like to live in Japan as a foreigner? Um, well, first of all, living in Japan, like, it's very, it's very convenient, especially, like, uh, public transportation uh, is very much easily accessible. Um, when you go here, like, there is so much to, like, visit. There's so much places to visit. Uh, you just can never get bored in Japan. But as a foreigner, yeah, even though living here is convenient and it is fun to uh, travel in Japan and just, um, yeah, connecting with locals, sometimes I feel like an outsider. I never feel like I could ever fit in. I mean, especially because I, I am a foreigner. I am fundamentally a foreigner. I'm Indonesian, so uh, I look different. My culture is also different. So... I just don't feel like I could ever fit in and it sometimes weighs me down uh, while living in Japan. It sometimes makes me a bit sad, but 
then again, as I've said before, living in Japan is convenient and it could be fun. Right. Um, when do you feel like uh, the most like an outsider? Mm, I would say that like when I go on a train, when I go on trains or like public transportation, right. uh, when I talk to my friends on trains, of course, we're going to Indonesian. In, yeah, in Indonesian, like when I talk to my Indonesian friends or even even like my my other foreigners, foreigner friends. When we speak in English together, I, of course, obviously, we're going to get stares. And I do understand why people stare, but it just makes me a bit uncomfortable sometimes. And another thing that makes me feel like an outsider is that I'm not really fluent in Japanese. I'm not really fluent in Japanese. And sometimes I feel like I can't connect to other Japanese people my age. Because I don't really speak the way that they speak. Like, I can't really speak in a casual Japanese way. And it makes conversations a bit awkward sometimes. Like, I want to be friends with people, but it just... The way that I speak in Japanese is a bit odd. And yeah, that's... I think those are the, the moments where I feel like an outsider the most. And... Yeah, I'm not sure. Uh, do you do you relate to that? Like as uh, someone who moved back from another country and moved back here in Japan, do you relate to like feeling like an outsider? Actually, I can relate to that a lot, like on a Ooh. whole nother level. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, especially on the train. Um, well, like you said, like you are a foreigner and you look like a foreigner, right? Right, For right. me, it's like I am Japanese. I look Japanese and I do speak Japanese as well. But I would say that I'm more or less like foreign slash like American on the inside, on the train. Like if I'm speaking English to my friends, um, I get stares. Also, when I wear something maybe that doesn't fit as much in the Japanese like norm. Um, I get stares, especially if I'm wearing a little bit more provocative clothes or you can see a little more of my skin, like maybe even just wearing shorts or I'm actually can't wear like just a tank top on the train because you get stares or there are some creepy men. <laughs> but yeah, it's actually quite like this dilemma that I had kind of um, when I moved back about how I would want to wear what I want to wear and I think that people should wear what they want to wear but exactly. whenever I would try to leave the house my mom just being protective she's okay with me wearing it but not in public like trains um like I could wear it to school but on trains and stuff she would always tell me wear something on top like please and it's to protect me it's not to deny who I am or anything but that is a dilemma that I've had that I was like, why can't I just be myself? Right, um, right. Why does Japanese people have to be, have to always stare if they're a little different or if they're, um, yeah, showing a little more skin? Yeah, I think, yeah, that's actually pretty surprising, especially coming from like you as a Japanese person and even you yourself could also feel like an outsider in your own Japanese community. And like... 
is that experience uh, like are there times outside of public transportation like outside of being on trains that you feel like an outsider is that is that like outsider kind of feeling exclusive to when you go on trains only or do you also experience it in like other places or other settings right so honestly i guess this thing doesn't really make me feel like an outsider but it's it's been something that was really hard for me to adapt and it's actually kegel and mm. i think if anyone knows how to or if anyone has learned how to speak japanese in any way they would know term kegel and so this is basically like a polite way to talk to people maybe that are older than you or in a higher position than you it also could be used actually not just in a higher position um but just in a workplace it's used a lot and it's actually really hard so <laughs> in english you can maybe some way to uh, say something polite you could just be like please da 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 or may i la 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 but in japanese there's just so many different ways that you have to speak And yeah, so that's something that it's been hard to adopt. Right. Like I remember um learning about Kegel uh in a Japanese class at SFC. Like we were learning about how to change kureru to kudasaru and then like how mm. gomennasai could suddenly change to moshiwake arimasen <laughs> something like that. I'm like this is very confusing and yeah, yeah like this whole um politeness culture of japan i guess it's very much uh i would i would group that into like a culture shock experience for me because okay. i mean i do understand that language really reflects how you could be polite to someone or not but i think that japan really takes it to the extreme you have the these whole like different levels to the language with keigo and like casual talk and stuff and even female and male ways of speaking i th- i find that really interesting um and the power dynamic that i feel when i use kego or another person uses kego kego to me it makes me feel a bit awkward sometimes cuz i think that uh people could be overly polite even in uh like situations that i don't feel that um this much politeness is needed but i do get that politeness is very much a fundamental culture in Japan. And yeah, so I, then again, I would say that it's a culture shock experience to me, but you as a Japanese person, would you say that it's a culture shock experience or what? Yeah, so since I do speak Japanese at home, I've always known of this keigo and I couldn't really speak it until I moved uh, until I got into college and I started working at a shoe store and there as a server I guess I there's like this whole power dynamic in the language where they have this thing called okyakusama daichi customers first mm-hmm. right so we have to be super polite um in the way we speak in the way we act right the customers are always right is is like japanese <laughs> I don't know like an unspoken rule basically. Mm-hmm. 
yeah, and that was some, it wasn't as much of a shock. It was really, like I said, just something hard to adapt to because I didn't have that mentality. Um, yeah. Yeah, like I don't really speak in Kego that often, but because you work at a shoe store and you deal with customers on the daily, you would, of course, need to speak in Kego. And do you think that speaking in Kego would, like, I, I would say personally, If I were to speak in Kego like all the time, it would make me a bit exhausted, I guess. Like I would feel tired, you know? And yeah. Yeah. I like do you I get do tired feel... of Kego sometimes? <laughs> yeah, I definitely get really tired. Um I feel like whenever I speak Kegel, it's something that I'm trying to say, it takes so long to say it, if that makes sense. Mm. Right, right. Like, in English, you could just say, like, could you put it here, right? Mm -hmm. But then in Japanese, it, it's just so much longer. You have to be like, <laughs> Yeah, yeah. If, whoever is listening, if you speak Japanese, <laughs> right? That's politeness. And then you say, <laughs> Right? Mm -hmm. That's, like, so many... <laughs> Yeah. In different ways. You could just say, oite kudasai. Of course, that's, that is impolite because it's mm -hmm. not kegel. Exactly. But it's really awkward sometimes, I feel like, because it takes really long to say one thing. Right. Um, yeah. I, I really can't imagine just like speaking in kegel on the daily. And well, for me, of course, because I am still in the process of learning Japanese. Um, Even I still struggle with casual Japanese sometimes. So speaking in Keigo is still not a natural in instinct yet. Yeah, so I definitely need to practice more. And how about you? Like, because uh, you use Keigo quite often. Like, are you like fluent in Keigo yet? Or I think that I have gotten so much better. <laughs> mm, But that's good. yeah, there, there are still so many things that I don't know. Um, especially like on emails, there are ways that are sound super polite. But something that I felt is like kego and like being super polite feels very ingenuine to me. Do you ever feel that? Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah. That that is what I feel. I remember uh, practicing how to write an email to a professor, and I genuinely wanted to ask like a question that I I actually had interest in. But then with this whole like like how you say saiwai and stuff and i'm just like these are just really unnecessary things and it's both like unnecessary and it doesn't feel like you don't really feel a connection with the other person when you right. speak in kego it's like there's this like whole politeness wall in between uh, me and like my conversation partner yeah it's it's a bit hard especially i think like in workplace settings I'm, i'm just like trying to imagine if you use kego all the time with your co-workers and then would you be able to build a relationship with your co-workers if you constantly speak in kego because how would you transition from kego to casual language you know it's yeah i can't really imagine that all right um sorry to just go back on the email thing it's actually kind of funny because i've not sent some emails out mm -hmm. because I didn't know how to really write it, um, how to do the kegel. 
I mean, I was writing it and I did do my best, but then I felt like it was wrong. So I ended up not sending it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, I remember I had a whole class dedicated just for writing emails, I think. Yeah, I think I had a whole class for that. And then, yeah, because I didn't know how to really write it the proper way. I just, like, searched up a template, an email template online. <laughs> like, how do I write an email to a professor in Japanese? And, right. yeah, it's a bit hard. Yeah. And then um, about my work, I... Actually, I've been fortunate that I work somewhere that's quite international or bilingual. Mm -hmm. Everyone speaks English. We are very close and we don't really speak Kegel. Um, I speak Dissimasu maybe to my, like, like a manager, but we're still mm -hmm. quite close there. Yeah, but I do think that if I had to speak Kegel the whole time, we would not get close. It would just right. be that like there's there would always be that hierarchy mm -hmm. and that wall that you'll never be able to break exactly yeah, yeah. it's actually a pretty interesting thing and yeah, it's, yeah it just shows how much um politeness culture and language in general really affects your relationships and another thing that is uh it's not it's not about keigo but it is uh like related to politeness in japan is that the amount of bowing in Japan, the the service in Japan is great. Uh, like everyone's really polite. The servers are really polite. But sometimes it makes me a bit uncomfortable when numerous amounts of bowing and also, um, yeah, basically just the whole bowing thing. I don't know. It it just makes me a bit com uncomfortable sometimes. Yeah, bowing is definitely such a unique culture, um, in Japan. I have this inside joke with like my family about scenarios when people bow. So you bow either when you're saying sumimasen, you bow when you're saying sorry. You also mm -hmm. bow when you say excuse me. You also bow when you say thank you. You bow when mm -hmm. you're saying like hello, right? It's just there's so many like times that you bow and one of the funniest moments that I've had was like, I was lining up for the bathroom and this lady comes out of the stall and I was next and she bows at me <laughs> like like here you go kind of and I was like and I obviously bow back because it's just such a natural instinct to bow um yeah it's it is very polite but I think it's something that we could also embrace but also find very unique <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah, so, I mean, yeah, just going back to the whole politeness culture thing, po we I would say that politeness is a part of Japan's culture. It is something that's really important in Japan. And being a foreigner, me being a, for me being a foreigner, I just need, like, to adapt to using keigo and speaking with um, a person in a higher position or just, like, that natural instinct of bowing i really need to get that in me and yeah it's not like just like this whole politeness culture thing you can't really take it away from japan it's really rooted deep in japan so uh, right i think mm -hmm. that we can sometimes feel that it's too polite but i think most of the times it makes us feel good um i think that service is definitely 
number one in the world, I think. Our Japanese sure. service is number one in the world. Right, right, right. Yeah. And I actually have a challenge for you or anyone who is listening. My challenge for you is count how many times you bow or get bowed <laughs> in one day. I think you will be surprised by how many times. <laughs> That would be really interesting. Yeah. So, yeah. So, remember that challenge from Lisa. That is uh, a really great way to look into Japan's politeness culture. How many times you bow or you get bowed at. So, yeah. Um, I guess that's it for today then. Yeah. Thank you guys for tuning in with us、um, in Ohio, Tokyo. We're going to be talking much more about our experiences in Japan and how we see Japan as an outsider. Alright then, see you next time. Bye!